Why is it that a woman after decades of marriage would hear the news that her husband has got another woman, a much younger woman, pregnant? Why is it that a young man would be falsely accused, condemned, and then rot in prison for a crime that he didn't commit? Why is it that an entire ethnic group, for century after century, would live as slaves in bondage in a foreign land to be treated no better than cattle? Why is it that warfare would steamroll over the borders of a given nation and wives would be turned into widows and children into orphans? Why is it that a godly woman would pray and pray and pray for the blessing of being a godly mother only for that prayer to seemingly go unanswered month after month and year after year? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a question that all of us wrestle with. It's a question that's not unique to believers. Why do bad things happen to good people? We live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world of grief. We live in a world of loss. And we want an answer. I would say to you that we have to have some kind of an answer. We search for an answer. We live in a world that is punctuated by pain. Where there are seasons of our life where we carry heavy burdens of grief. Moments where we feel the deep pain of loss and we want to know why. Why does it happen? Well, that's the question I want to try and answer for you this evening. It's a question that was turned in some time back. Why do bad things happen to good people? But I want to level with you tonight and tell you that I can't give you a satisfactory answer to that question. In fact, I want to go even further and submit to you that really the Bible doesn't give total answer to that question. In fact, I'll submit to you that to understand the Bible is to understand that that is actually the wrong question. That the Bible answers a question that is really much simpler, but much more beautiful. And when we understand what the Bible really teaches about why bad things happen to good people, then we can see something more glorious than the simple explanations we give. And I want to show you that, that tonight from the Bible's classic case study in why bad things happen to good people, the book of Job. So turn with me, if you're able, please, to the book of Job in chapter number 9. Job chapter 9, and we will begin reading in verse number 25. But we're going to kind of do a flyover view of the book of Job, take different thoughts and different ideas from this book to answer the question, if we can, why do bad things happen to good people? Job chapter 9 and verse number 25. Job chapter 9 and verse number 25. And this is Job speaking. Job 9, 25. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering. For I know you, that's the Lord, will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. 
Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. And for poetic effect, notice the first clause of verse 1 of chapter 10. I loathe my life. I loathe my life. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. The book of Job is the Bible's classic case study in why bad things happen to good people. And I take it for granted tonight that you know the book of Job, but sometimes knowing the story of the Bible keeps us from really understanding the story of the Bible. Sometimes the sacred is so familiar to us that we lose the depth of meaning that is contained in the Word of God. So think about the story of Job with me as if Job were a real person, because I believe he was a real person. And think about what it would have been like for Job, who the Bible says is a perfect man in Job chapter number 1. That doesn't mean he didn't sin. It doesn't mean he's without fault. But it means that there's nothing missing from Job's life. All of the pieces of the puzzle are there in Job. Job is a perfect man. He hates evil. He loves the Lord. And yet, in one day, Job loses all of his financial wealth. The way the Bible talks about it, Job's financial wealth is tied up in things like cattle, sheep, camels. Uh, the man was a livestock trader. But in one day, there was a genuine stock market crash, and he lost everything. And this man, who in our terms would have been a multimillionaire or better, finds himself at the lowest point of poverty. But money's not everything, is it? Besides, fortunes are lost every day, and fortunes can be gained any day. You can't replace family. That matters more than anything. But on a given day, the message comes to Job. Job, there's been a tragedy. And it's not just one of your children. It's all ten of your children. have perished in a freak accident. And Job, I'm sorry, but all of your children are gone. And that level of pain is unthinkable to most of us. But Job still has his health, right? In Job chapter number 2, the Bible says that his body is covered over with these painful boils. And when Job chapter number 2 ends, Job is sitting among the ashes. His life itself reduced to ashes, scraping his boils with his pottery. And his spouse, his wife, the one crutch that Job should have been able to lean on in a time of crisis, his wife, his soulmate, comes to him and says, Why don't you curse God and die? And Job doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to curse God. But you can see here in Job chapter 10 and verse number 1 that Job hates his life. You can see Job's expressions in Job chapter 3 and verse number 11 that Job looks upon a stillborn baby with jealousy. He says, why couldn't I have been born already dead? I would have been better off. Church, that is a level of pain and a level of grief that is so raw and so real and so intimate that there's a part of me that's ashamed to even read the book of Job. I feel like I'm stepping into a place that I really don't have any business being. Job hurts. And Job, like any of us, wants to know why. What we miss about the book of Job is that the book of Job is really an attempt to answer that question. It's an attempt to explain why. Why did this happen to Job. And it offers some explanation. Some are much more satisfactory 
than others. But I think the book of Job still leaves us looking for a better answer. A better answer that's alluded to here in this passage. An answer that is deeper than anything else that we could invent, anything else that we could try and come up with, any answer to the question of why do bad things happen to good people. There is an answer. But really, the answer is to a different question. Let me show you what I mean. The first answer that we could come up with as to why bad things happen to good people is we could say, well, it's really all because of sin. Maybe it's all because of sin. In other words, we could cling to this really, really simple answer that bad things happen to good people because, well, they really don't. And Job, the reason bad things happen to you is because somewhere deep inside, in secret, where nobody can see you, where you've got it hidden from everybody else, Job, you're not really that great. You know, that's what Job's friends say. The Bible says at the end of Job chapter 2 that Job's three buddies come to sit with him in his suffering. And we just throw all kinds of shade at Job's friends. But I do want to give them credit where credit is due. First of all, they showed up. Job was a rich man. And so Job knew countless people who were in the orbit of his life. But none of those people showed up. His three friends did show up. Thank God for people who walk into pain while other people walk out. And I think, to their credit, you may disagree, and that's all right, but I think, to their credit, Job's friends didn't say a word. I think they realized that his suffering and his pain was beyond words. There was nothing they could say. And so they just sat with him in his pain. And the problem does not start until they start to speak. Y'all know anybody like that? They're all right until they open their mouth. And that's Job's friends. And listen to what one of them says. Listen to what his friend Eliphaz says in Job chapter 4 and verse number 7. I wasn't asking you to name names or point fingers, but Job's friend Eliphaz, the first time Job's friends speak, he asked Job, Job, remember who that was innocent ever perished? Or where was the upright cut off? As I have seen, Job, you know those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Job the reason that you're experiencing pain, the reason bad things are happening to you, Job, is because you really had it coming the whole time. Now, how's that for a message of comfort and hope? But, as callous and cold as it seemed, I do think that this is, for many of us, the standard operating procedure in our hearts when we process the, the answer to why bad things happen to good people. Because really, they deserve it. Why do you get lung cancer? Because you smoke cigarettes. Why do you get HIV? Because you maybe practice homosexuality. Why do you go broke? Because you make bad, irresponsible financial decisions. Why are you homeless? Because you were addicted to drugs. We always want to find this one-to-one -one answer as to why bad things happen. And I think that maybe the reason we do that is because if we can find a reason, an answer as to why somebody did bad and got bad, then that gives us a little bit of control. So that if we don't do bad, then we're not going to get bad. But is this true? Is it true that God is just up in heaven punishing people, saying to them, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. I've heard people say that. Many of us believe that. Many of us operate as if that's true. The problem is twofold. First, the problem is that eventually your phone's going to ring. You're going to receive the news. It's going to become your story that is no longer a comedy but is a tragedy. 
It's going to be your heart that breaks. And when that happens, if God is only ever giving people what they deserve, then you're only going to have two options. And those options are either one, to blame yourself because you didn't do good enough and you did something to have it coming. You did something to earn it. You were not good enough. You were not faithful enough. You did not pray enough. You did not try hard enough. Or you're going to become bitter towards God. And you did right, but God didn't. And I think Job feels some of that. You tried, but God didn't. You are active doing the right thing. Where was God at? The second problem with that is primarily theological. And it's one of the theological errors the book of Job is given to us to address. This is not who God is. As much as we may just overreact to and believe that God gives people what he deserves and that God treats everybody fairly, he doesn't. That's not who God is. In fact, it is a satanic lie from the book of Job to believe that. You remember the story, right? See if I can take you back. Job is minding his own business. Raising his kids, worshiping his God, grooming his camels. Job chapter 1 says that there was a day when the sons of God came before the Lord. And who came with them? The devil came with them. And Satan, the accuser, comes before the Lord and God says, God says to Satan, God initiates the conversation. And he says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. Look at how he worships me. Look at how he serves me. And what does the devil say? The devil says, Of course he serves you. Look at him. You've made him rich. You've given him good health. You've given him a beautiful family. He's got everything he could ever want. Why wouldn't he serve you? And what the devil is really saying to the Lord is this. Lord, listen. You and I both know that the only reason Job wants you is because you're useful to give him the things that he really wants. And if you take from him the things that he really wants, the one thing he won't still want is you. In other words, it's the devil who looks at God and says, God, you might be useful, but you're not worthy. You might be useful, but you're not worthy. And you know what Job's friends are saying? And you know what we are really saying when we say that good things happen to bad people because, you know, deep down they really deserve it and they did bad? You know what we're saying? We're saying that God is useful, but He is not worthy. And we're saying that we should use God transactionally to get the things that we want from God, and He owes them to us. Friends, hear me. The one lesson from the book of Job that Job learned is that you cannot manipulate our God. You cannot manipulate Him by how you worship you cannot manipulate Him in how you pray. You cannot manipulate Him in the sacrifices you make or the offerings that you give or the beliefs that you hold. Our God is free. And our God will not be manipulated. But I've heard some very, very well-meaning people say this. Well, you know, really bad things don't happen to good people. And what they would say is this. They would say, very well-meaning people, Bible-believing people, they would say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there are no good people. And that's true. The Bible says, Romans 3, there's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. But that answer doesn't really get to the depth of the pain, does it? Y'all, we live in a world where people experience things that they do not deserve. Where people are treated harshly. Where people are treated unfairly. This is all through the Old Testament. It's in the book of Job. It's all throughout the Psalms where people are coming to God saying, God, I have done my best. And they're not saying it in pride. They're not saying it in arrogance. They're not saying it to manipulate God. They're saying, God, I've done my best. 
And yet, as the Apostle Paul would say, quoting from Psalm chapter 48, like sheep for your sake, like sheep we are counted for the slaughter all day long. That can be the experience of the people of God. It was the experience of Jeremiah. Lord, you've seduced me, you've tricked me into preaching your word, and look at where it's gotten me. It's the experience of David. It's the experience of Job. It might be your experience where you feel like you've done the right thing and you've only gotten wrong from God. But the one thing we can't say is we can't say, well, it's just one-to-one. You do bad, you get bad. Maybe the answer is a little bit deeper. Maybe it's not merely human sin, but maybe part of this is, we'll say, divine sovereignty. Maybe the answer from the book of Job is that God is God and you're not, so suck it up and move on. And that kind of is the answer to the book of Job. Because God is God and you're not. But is that it? Think of what happens here in Job chapter 1. The, 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 the sons of God come before the Lord. Satan comes with them. Have you considered my servant Job? Well, of course he worships you. Look at all that you've done for him. The Lord says, okay, you can take from him his health. You can take from him his family. You can take from him his camels. You can take everything that we would think you have to have to really live a blessed life. And so maybe, maybe we should just blame the devil. That would be convenient, right? God wants to do good for us. God wants to bless us. God wants all of y'all to have a flock of camels. But it's the devil who gets in the way. It's the devil who puts cancerous cells in bodies. It's the devil who causes macular degeneration. It's the devil who causes war. It's the devil who does all of these things that are bad. It's the devil who makes cell phones ring during church. It's the devil who does these things. That sounds really convenient, doesn't it? That sounds really convenient to live with this idea that God is all good, the devil is all bad, and they're just kind of equals fighting it out. Friends, the Bible teaches us that the devil is real. The Bible teaches us that the devil is evil. But the Bible never teaches us that the devil is God's equal. We do not believe that the devil could ever do anything to thwart God's plans. And I'll show you that in the book of Job. Because after all, who was it that gave the devil permission to work? Who was on the other end of the devil's leash? Satan comes to the Lord the second time. And Job says, God says about Job, verse number 3, He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God is active in the things that happen to Job too. But maybe that's just the way that it is. Maybe God has this huge, mysterious, sovereign plan that we can't understand and we shouldn't try to understand. And maybe we should just give up and maybe we should just say, hey, this is the way that it is. God is God and we're not, so suck it up, trust Him and move on. Maybe that's the reason that bad things happen to good people. And in some sense, that's right. And in some sense, that's the lesson that Job needed to learn. When God comes to him at the end of the story, and God begins to speak to him, he says, Job, stand up here and talk to me like a man. That's what God says to him. And he says, Job, Job, you know everything about how the universe should work. You know about how your life should be ordered. Job, were you there when I created everything from nothing? 
Let me ask you a question now, not to embarrass you or to humiliate you, but just to ask yourself, do you know what God made on which day of creation? Do you know in your mind, can you recall what God made on the first day? Second day, third day, fourth day, on and on. Can you remember that? Then maybe we shouldn't question how God runs His universe. If we can't remember, okay, were the reptiles on day six or was that day five? The trees were day three, but the light, what day was the light? The light was first, but the sun didn't come until later. If we can't straighten that out, then maybe God really is big enough to have mysterious purposes for our life that we just can't understand. He asked Job, he says, Job, do you understand the way of the eagle? Do you understand why an eagle will appear at a battlefield to eat on the carcasses? It's pretty graphic, but God asks him, do you know how they know that? Do you know how they understand to put their nests up high so they'll be free from predators and so they can kick their eaglets out of the nest so that they will fly as babies? Job, do you understand the way that an ostrich works, the fastest land animal in the world with a brain the size of a tennis ball? Do you understand the way that it is so thoughtless and so careless but also so powerful? Job, do you know where I store the snow in heaven? Have you ever been to the warehouse where God stores the snow? You say, well, Brother Jesse, that's not really meteorologically accurate. No, but it's theologically correct. And you don't understand how it works either. That's the point. Do you know why God has stopped the ocean where he has? Do you know why Arkansas doesn't have any beachfront property? No, but God does. Because it's His beach. It's His ocean. He can make it go wherever He wants. And the point of the book of Job largely is that God is sovereign. And that He is able to do as He pleases in His creation, which includes you. And it includes me. But that's still hard, isn't it? Because it seems that God is responsible which I don't think he would deny. And if God is responsible, then surely that means that God must take the blame. If I'm Job, that must mean that God takes the blame for taking my wealth. It must mean that God takes the blame for taking my camels. It must mean that God takes the blame for my ten children buried in a row in their plots at the cemetery. That must be God's fault. And that's the issue in Job. The issue is, if God did this, if God is responsible for this, why doesn't God come down here and explain himself to me? I don't know if you've ever wanted God to do that. But I can tell you in my life there have been plenty of times where I've wanted God just to pull back the curtain a little bit and say, God, just let me see the light at the end of the tunnel. God, just give me a glimpse of what the master plan is. Lord, if you'd just give me a few details, it would be a lot easier to trust you in this. I can tell you that without reservation, the hardest part of pastoral ministry is trying to minister to people who are suffering and grieving and not being able to tell them why. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do we suffer? Why do we lose? Why, do we, why does God do this? Job says, God, come down here and explain yourself. But then Job throws up his hands and says, if God were to come down here and explain me with his vast wisdom and my finite intelligence, I couldn't understand it. But I sure would like to go to God and I would like to have my day in God's court. See, That's what Job's saying in Job chapter number 9 where we started today. He's saying, I want God to come down here and explain himself to me. And I want to go up there and give God a piece of my mind. But if I go give God a piece of my mind, I know that my understanding is so small and my motives are so sinful that no matter what I say, God will have the perfect rebuke. And I know that no matter what God would explain to me, I would never be able to understand it because his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. 
But this is what Job wants. Job wants his day in court. That's what he's doing in chapter number 9 and chapter 10. He's using legal language to say, I want to put God on trial. I wish God would put me on trial. I would like to have my explanation. Verse number 2. How can a man be in the right before God? Job thought he was right with God. God said he was right with God, but now everything's gone wrong. If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He's wise in heart, mighty in strength. And he goes on to describe the greatness of God, but then he also says, I wish I could hear more. I wish I could hear more. Verse number 33, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. And I think this is the answer that the Bible points us to, that Job gives us just a little glimpse of. I think this is the better question, that ultimately bad things happen to good people not just because of sin, even though that may be part of it. Bad things happen to good people not just because of God's sovereignty, even though that's a part of it. But really, what the Bible would point us to see is that the question of why bad things happen to good people is the wrong question. What the Bible would want you to see is that the question is never why. You may not get an answer to why. The question the Bible wants you to ask and the question the Bible answers is the question of who. You see what Job asks, verse number 33, I wish that there were an arbiter, or maybe your Bible says something like a daysman or a mediator between us. One who could lay his hand on God and one who could lay his hand on me. Here's what Job really wants. Job really wants somebody to come from God to him to make God known to him in his pain. And he really wishes there was somebody who could identify with him who would take his pain into the presence of God. Let me say that again. Job really wishes that there was somebody that would come from the presence of God and step into his pain who could make God known to him. And he really wishes that there was somebody that could step from his pain and go into the presence of God and represent him before God. You know what Job's longing for? Job's longing for a mediator. He's longing for an arbiter. He's longing for somebody to come and perfectly show him in the middle of weakness and pain and suffering God's power and God's goodness. And this is where, this is where we get hung up because if bad things happen to good people, if we do seemingly suffer unjustly, then that means that God is either not powerful or not good, right? Because if God is powerful enough to stop my pain but he doesn't, then he must not be very good. Or if God is good enough to stop my pain, but he can't, then what kind of God is he? How do I know in the middle of my pain that God is both powerful and good? I know it because the full revelation of who God is is not found in my suffering. The full revelation of the character of God is not found on the day that your job is shipped off to another country. 
The full revelation of who God is is not found on the night when your wife says that she doesn't want to be with you anymore. The full revelation of who God is is not found on the day when the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat in the womb anymore. The full revelation of God's goodness and His power is in the person of Jesus Christ, who is our arbiter, who is our mediator, who is our daysman, who is the one who comes from God to reveal God in the midst of our pain, and the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief that takes our tears back to heaven to represent us before God. Job says, I wish that somebody would come to me in my pain from God. And Jesus says, I will be that somebody. And Job says, I wish that somebody would take my scars and take my hurt and take my case to God. And Jesus says, I will be that somebody. And once you figure out who, once you figure out who, you can stop asking why because you can leave the why to the who. And there may be questions about why bad things happen to good people and why we hurt and why we suffer and why our prodigal children may not come back home and why our health fails and why our economy crashes. But we may never get the answer to that why. But the who knows the why. And we know the who. And we know that because of who he is and what he has done for us in proving his love and his power in his cross and in his resurrection, we know that our God is the who that took that wife and that husband who had the affair with the younger woman. Well, our God is the one who took Abraham and Sarah. And he's the one who took that story and redeemed it to fulfill his promises to the world. Our God is the who who took that young man falsely accused of rape named Joseph in Genesis And set him up on the throne of Egypt. So that he would say when it was all over, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Our God is the God who delivered those slaves out of Egypt 400 years after Joseph died. And he flexed his power against Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt and the gods of the Egyptians. And he brought them out through his grace and through his power. Our God is the God who sent judges like Samson and like Gideon and like others to deliver the children of Israel when they were conquered by their enemies. Our God is the God who answered that infertile woman's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter number 1 when Hannah wept before the Lord at the tabernacle and poured her soul out to God. Our God who heard her is the God who heard Job. Our God who heard her is the God who hears you. And what we know today is we know who. We know who our God is. And who is our God? Our God is a man of sorrows and our God is acquainted with grief. Who is our God? Our God is a God who stood by the graveside of his friend named Lazarus and wept tears of sorrow and anger. Our God is the God who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our God is the God who says, cast all of your cares on me because I care for you. Who is our God? Our God is the God who made this world and who runs it well and yet who so wrote the story of this world that he would die in this world and he would rise again in this world to save us out of this world where there are no more stories like Job. Our God is the God of Job, yes. But he is also the God of Calvary. He is also the God of the resurrection. And he is the God who does all things well who can always be trusted, who can always be worshipped, so that with Job we can say, the Lord giveth 